There are four teams left in the NFL playoffs. We can't play two of them, so here come the Falcons. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, joined this evening by longtime listener, first-time caller, Gary Zillavy. Good evening, Gary. It's a great day to be great, John, and I'm happy to be here. I'm glad that we can get you in tonight because you are calling all the way from, well, north of the border. Where are you this evening? Uh, located in beautiful, cold Toronto, Canada. But what? fear not, for I will return to Atlanta before Sunday's conquest. Gary is going to be doing some work for us down in Atlanta in advance of Sunday's game. And before we get too far down the path of talking about Sunday's game, I want to mention something that is going on here at uh, Blue58 and at thepowersweep.com. This podcast and all podcasts going forward will be powered by WTMJ Mobile. That's something we mentioned a while back. We are officially a part of the WTMJ podcast network. If that's exactly what it is, this is still kind of a work in progress. This is something we're going to be growing with WTMJ as they work through this. We're very excited to be part of it. Uh, I think I can speak for Gary and say this is a really, really huge opportunity for us. And, and thanks for listening along with us as we join in with WTMJ. And hello to all the listeners now who are listening from Wisconsin. And uh, if you heard me once on WTMJ, thanks for tuning in here on Blue 58 as well. So with that out of the way, let's talk a little bit about last week's game in Dallas against the Dallas Cowboys. And I think there's one play that everybody is thinking of when you think of that game. I think, of course, of the play in which Nick Perry deflected a ball with his face. Easily the highlight of the game for me. I don't know about you, Gary. Boy, that came as a shock, John. I thought you were going to say uh, the seven-yard run by Tom Montgomery in the second quarter. Really a game-breaker for me. Two huge plays there. Uh, but the third play, I think, that anybody would mention would be the 36-yard completion from Aaron Rodgers to Jared Cook with just three seconds remaining in the game. That, of course, setting up the winning 51-yard field goal. Um, some interesting theories going on with this play. Where we'll start is with Jason Wilde writing in uh, the Wisconsin State Journal uh, at host.madison.com. Uh, quoting the article, from an overhead angle, Fox Sports cameras captured Rogers get gesturing to tell Cook, Cobb, Devontae Adams, and Trevor Davis which routes to run, while left tackle David Bakhtiari motioned to tell his quarterback the play clock was winding down. This, of course, speaking to the idea that Aaron Rodgers drew this play up himself in the huddle. Gary, how are you? How impressed are you with Rodgers to be able to do something like this? Man, uh, I thought that Aaron Rodgers' legacy and his um, – uh, maybe his his the stories or the history around him couldn't get any better. But this sure seems like uh, a, a, another awesome chapter in the book of Rodgers. Well, what an unbelievable play. I am right there with you. I think it's a fantastic addition to Rodgers' legacy, except it may be exaggerated just a little bit slightly. Ryan Wood of PackersNews.com writing in that maybe Rodgers didn't entirely draw up the play himself. Quoting from Wood's article at PackersNews.com, it was Rodgers' job to pick the best concepts, but while he largely was in control of what his teammates did on the Packers' final offensive snap, Rodgers didn't make the play up from scratch. Now he quotes Mike McCarthy. He orchestrates that drive, McCarthy said, the ability to change the protection, particularly on that last play, and he did a really nice job after the sack earlier in that series. So the protection call, outstanding. The crossing route concept coming from the other side, it's an outstanding selection by him. And with that, the, the execution was fantastic. And you have to 
you have to imagine a little bit of the McCarthy Pittsburgh draw there. Uh, this this brings something that I mentioned to you, Gary, during the game. Mike McCarthy, the credit that he gets on this play is one thing, but I think throughout the game he really just did a, a fantastic job, sort of setting up the Packers to to play to their strengths throughout this game. It seems like McCarthy really is a great in-game coach against the Dallas Cowboys, especially in the postseason. His challenge on that Des Bryant catch-no-catch was was really what turned the tables because that that play was initially called a touchdown. Uh, Now, as far as Sunday's game is concerned, I thought I'm in agreement with you, John. I thought he he did a fantastic job managing the plays, managing the, the substitutions on the offensive side, especially without Jordy Nelson. It felt like the offense didn't miss a beat. I, I completely agree. And one thing we should point out on this final play is a little bit of, I guess, insider knowledge coming from Jeff Schwartz writing for SB nation.com. Uh, really, Interesting to note how well this play was set up, and I want to read rather a rather lengthy section here from Schwartz's article, talking about how important the play is and uh, the the play design is, especially in terms of the blocking. If you have if you haven't watched the play happen with this sort of insight into the blocking that's happening, you're really going to have to go back and 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 watch it again. But but just listen to this. Rogers told them the offensive line. I'm rolling left. Like most offensive schemes with a right-handed quarterback, the Packers don't roll out left often. It's rarely practiced. It does take work as an offensive line figuring out the nuances of rollout protection as evidenced on the final play. The idea of a rollout protection is to allow the offensive line to set aggressively to the side of the rollout without worrying about being beat inside. If someone crosses your face to the inside, the lineman next to you will take him. This last rollout wasn't the usual way it's protected, and it's different by design. When the Packers roll out, Rodgers sits in the pocket for a second to allow the tackle to play side to the play side to pin his defender inside. The defensive end will rush inside when he's given the option, and since Rodgers is still in the pocket, he will rush inside 100% of the time. This protection allows the quarterback to get out clean, and it allows an uncovered lineman to leak out and protect the throw. Because this isn't a true rollout, the left guard doesn't need to help the left tackle with an inside move. As Lane Taylor told me, I just let David Bakhtiari take care of the defensive end, and I adjusted to the defensive end's inside move. So that's kind of a lengthy uh, description there. But Gary, do you catch the key thing in there? Who was the lineman uh, responsible for the personal protection of Aaron Rodgers on the most important play of the game? The lineman that everyone thought was not going to be any good in the lineman that everybody thought was a mistake of having out there. That is the left guard, Lane Taylor. Lane Taylor. And I was thinking back on this today during one of the early season Milwaukee Journal Sentinel Packers podcast. Beat writer Bob McGinn actually predicted that Lane Taylor was going to get cut. He said it didn't matter that the Packers extended him last offseason. He said he was gone. This is a pretty big turnaround, Gary. I would have to say it's an incredible turnaround. And I think a lot of Packer fans and, and to an extent, you and I were a little concerned with how the release of Josh Sitton went uh, at the end of the tr- of training camp. Lane Taylor certainly did not have a, a fantastic preseason, but it's another reminder that sometimes uh, we can overreact to those early season predictions and those early season looks at a team because 
come January, Lane Taylor has uh, turned into a, a bona fide NFL left guard. Well, and here's the thing, like even as good as Lane Taylor is, if you want to criticize the Packers for releasing Josh Sitton the way they did, I think you still can. I still think that's a legitimate criticism. But Lane Taylor has held up his end of the bargain for sure, and he's come through in a big way uh, in the playoffs and really throughout the entire season. You really can't complain a lot about Lane Taylor. All right, we should move on to the second headline. Gary, what do we know about Jordy Nelson? Well, uh, according to Rob Domovsky, Jordy Nelson is yet again going to be a long shot to play in the Sunday's NFC Championship game. Uh, A source close to ESPN uh, reported last week that while Nelson didn't sustain any major internal injuries, it's going to be difficult for him to play uh, two weeks after the broken ribs. Um, John, it strikes me that this injury to Jordy Nelson and and we have very few details that, you know, there's some, some sources that have said broken ribs and whatnot. Um, I don't know if we'll know the full extent of, of what actually happened to Nelson until uh, whenever the Packers postseason is concluded, but it certainly feels a bit more significant than um, potentially what we were talking about last week with Nelson playing through it like James Jones did in in 2013. Uh, Your thoughts on whether Nelson plays this Sunday? I would put it at somewhere south of 5%. I don't think the Packers are counting on him playing Sunday. I think if they get him for Sunday, it's just a bonus. Um, A broken ribs seems like an incredibly painful injury, especially in a position like receiver, where you have the potential to expose your ribs if you're going up over the middle or you have to extend for a pass. I don't hold anything against Jordy Nelson for not trying to play through this injury, if that's even an option to him. And I I don't think that the Packers are in a position where they're necessarily hugely worse for wear if if he's not out there at playing them at less than 100%. I mean, it's one thing if you had a full go Jordy Nelson and you could say, yeah, we want him out there. But if he's going to be at 80%, I think you're just as well going with, with guys who can who can do it all and, and play to their full capacity because they are healthy and they're not dealing with those with those broken ribs. Finally, speaking of dealing with things, Mason Crosby going through some pretty serious family issues leading up to this kick on Sunday. And I, I don't mean like the sort of scandal family issues. I mean the sort of family issues that that just kind of hit every family from time to time um, some serious health issues in the Crosby family uh, quoting now from an article by Ryan Wood a month ago Crosby's sister-in-law was diagnosed with ovarian cancer Brittany Crosby married to Mason's brother Reese is only 27 she recently started chemotherapy preventing uh, the sister-in-law and brother from joining a large representation of the Crosby clan at Sunday's game just up the road from their home in Georgetown, Texas. Uh, It goes on to detail a few of the other health issues that have been present in Crosby's family. But really, what a kick from Crosby on Sunday. And and knowing the backstory, to me, I don't know about you, Gary, but that makes it all the more impressive. It does. And certainly our thoughts and prayers go out to Mason and his family, and especially Brittany as she's going through um, cancer. That's that's no fun. And, And I know all of us have had someone who has his probably struggled with some health issues and um it's it's hard to focus when that goes on and man um just just really makes you realize uh we have a good one in mason crosby he's a good dude we really do and and it kind of puts things in perspective um of what's really important i mean obviously it's cool that the packers are in the nfc championship 
but him dealing with stuff like this is is one thing that puts it in perspective. And I even had I almost tweeted about it from from the Power Sweep account during the game. But during the game, I got a text from one of my good friends that he actually got engaged this weekend. And it was like the Packers were driving or had just gotten stopped on a drive and Dallas was coming back. And like I completely forgot about the game for five or ten minutes just because I was more excited about this great thing that's happening for my friend. I think it's interesting and, and good to get those reminders from time to time about about the things that actually matter in life. I mean, if the Packers go out and get shellacked on Sunday, I'm still going to go and celebrate with my friend getting married this summer, and I'm going to have him and his wife over many times for the rest of their life together. I'll, I'll forget about what happens in the NFC Championship game, but these friends I'm going to have for, for a long time. And you have to remember that when you see things like like what Mason Crosby is going through. Yeah, it's it's really easy to forget when you watch when you only tune in on Sundays and you see these guys with helmets and you don't see their faces. You forget there's humans underneath and they're going through stuff and and they're uh, you know away from their families for a large portion of this year and uh, a lot of them don't make a heck of a lot of money. Um, and it's it's a hard it's a hard living and um it's 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 really cool to be reminded of the human element in this well one final element i want to talk about with mason crosby too is just something you touched on how good he's been and i think people forget exactly how good he's been because for a while he was he was a middle of the road kicker i dug up some stats today from 2007 through 2011 uh, Mason Crosby hit on 131 of 165 field goals. That's just under 80%, 79.4%. In 2012, he had that disastrous year where he made 21 of 33. That's under 64%. But since then, from 2013 through this year, he's up to just a fraction under 86%, 110 out of 128. And considering how many long field goals the Packers ask Mason Crosby to try. I think that's a pretty incredible turnaround and a lot of growth uh, from a guy like Crosby, who was who was who was spotty early in his career. I remember uh, I really wanted the Packers to sign Adam Vinatieri, who was a free agent uh, when Ryan Longwell left uh, to go to the Vikings. And when we ended up with Crosby after um, a couple of, of of other kickers that came through, it was it was fun to watch him grow and it's it's just cool here we are on the other side and Crosby's you know certainly um a, turned into a very accurate kicker for the knock on him throughout his career being big leg but not always accurate uh dude dude sunk 350 plus yard field goals um on Sunday when it mattered most and pretty darn impressive it was impressive though I will say that 56 yarder was an adventure that <laughs> that was a ride it, it was the Keenan Thomas knuckle puck from the Mighty Good Ducks. grief. That was all over the place. And then the second one, he's like, okay, I'll kick this one straight. Just straight at the upright. And then, you know, it'll go in right at the last second. I was joking with a friend today, actually, about that. Like, this is totally one of those situations where I, I said before he kicked the second one, I had like 20% confidence that he would make it. But then afterwards, it was immediately like, well, of course, like I had no doubts. Uh, obviously, he was going to make it like for sure. How confident, no, totally, totally. How, how confident were you when Crosby lined up for the, the game winner? 
I, I was pretty confident. I, I felt like uh, you couldn't have such a good catch by Jared Cook and then not hit that game winner. I think, uh, in my mind, it, it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't whether the kick was going to miss. It was whether it was going to be blocked or not. Well, he made it, and the Packers are off to the NFC Championship. And we'll talk about that NFC title game in just a couple seconds here. But first, I want to mention something that Gary and I have been working very hard on, and now you can take uh, an opportunity to read. It's our first ever book following Favre, the four quarterbacks who could have succeeded Brett Favre in Green Bay. Gary, this is a pretty exciting development for us. This is available through the Amazon Kindle store. Uh, what are the good people going to learn if they read following Favre? Well, you'll learn a couple of things. You'll learn about four quarterbacks before Aaron Rodgers that the Packers uh, publicly or internally were considering as the heir to the legend number four Favre. And John and I have have done a uh, have have been working really long on and hard and trying to dig up some some interesting information for you. We think you'll you'll really enjoy this book. It's a quick read. It should take you about an hour to to get through it. Uh, and it's a it's a great way to support uh, John and I here at the Power Sweep and Blue Fifty Eight and what we're trying to do in helping all of us become smarter Packer fans. And as we like to say, smarter Packer fans are better Packer fans, and better Packer fans are really what we all want to be. So check out Following Favre. You can just go to Amazon.com or Amazon.ca if you're where Gary is right now in Canada. Uh, search for Following Favre, and you should be able to navigate your browser right to where you can purchase that book and have it uh, delivered straight to your smart device. Uh, the Amazon Kindle app is free, and if you just pay us the low, low price of $4, you may have Following Favre, the first ever ebook uh, from thepowersweep.com. So check it out. It's on Amazon.com right now. It's a good read. You won't be sorry you did it, and you'll help us out with our mission here at thepowersweep.com. All right, on to the NFC Championship. Blue 58, for the second time now in two weeks, the Packers will be playing someone, well, I guess for the third time in three weeks, the Packers will be playing someone they played earlier this season in the form of the Atlanta Falcons. And unlike the previous two opponents, there's not a lot different between these two teams. The New York Giants were improved significantly in the divisional round or in the wild card round than they were earlier in the season. The Cowboys, much the same, were a lot healthier on defense than they were when they played the Packers the first time around. This time, it's I guess if anyone is different, it's the Packers. They are much healthier than they were when they played the Falcons in late October. The Falcons, though, remain the offensive juggernaut that they were when the Falcon or when the Packers traveled to the Georgia Dome in late October. So with that said, we're going to do a little bit of a different preview of Packers Falcons uh, than we have the last couple weeks. I don't want to talk super in depth about the game itself, but Gary, I want to talk a little bit about this team, the Green Bay Packers that is in the NFC Championship. And just off the off the bat, Gary, I want to throw this out to you. This is a very different team than we probably expected heading into the season that's making the NFC Championship game. Anyone who thought that uh, the team that is going to take the field Sunday and how they operate and how they score points and how, how they win games was going to be, uh, if, if you predicted that in, in training camp, you're lying. Um 
there are really quite a different team from July and August and, and even into September. So we're going to talk about some expectations versus reality. So we wrote way back at the start of the season that this was a Super Bowl or bust team, just kind of the way the team is constructed. They needed to make the Super Bowl this year, otherwise it was going to to feel like maybe a wasted season or at least make a very serious run. And there was some sort of expectations about what sort of team the Packers were going to have. For starters, the running game, well, the expectations was that Eddie Lacy and James Starks may not be great, but they'll be just enough of a running game to help out Aaron Rodgers and the Packers when they need it. Gary, what did the reality actually end up being? Well, the reality was Eddie Lacy was injured and placed on injured reserve after the Dallas game in week six. James Starks uh, filled in, but certainly looked to be on the wrong side of 30 and has been out um, with, with dealing with a concussion after a car accident. And instead you've had wide receiver turned running back Ty Montgomery and fullback Aaron Ripkowski doing the lion's share of, of the, the running game duties for the Packers this year. I don't know if that's still an ideal situation, but it seems to be working for now, and it's certainly different than anybody would have expected at the start of the year. Another expectation, or maybe perception is a better word for this one, but heading into the season, the the popular storyline was that we need to get help for Clay Matthews in some way, shape, or form. And the reality is, yeah, we do need to get help for Clay Matthews because he just doesn't look anything like himself anymore. What do you make of the the disappearance of Clay Matthews? I'm willing to give him a pass this year because you certainly hear the rumblings from uh, industry insiders and from broadcasters during the game that he's dealing with some pretty significant injuries. Again, probably won't know the extent of those until after the Packers playoff playoff run this year is over. Uh, But Clay Matthews has, has made a handful of plays this entire season whereas he typically makes a handful of plays every single game. He just the thing that jumps out to me the most is is disappearance against the run. One thing that's always been a strength of Clay Matthews' game is his backside pursuit against the run, just screaming down the back of the line and tackling the running back while he's he's waiting for his hole to develop, and you just don't see that from Clay Matthews anymore. It doesn't seem like he has any of that burst. And and I agree with you. It, it's been a handful of plays all year that he's made, and it, it just seems like he isn't the same guy anymore. I mean, good grief, Carson Wentz outran him this year. Just just plodding. And he, he's back in the day, he was at least as fast as Dak Prescott is now, probably faster. And there was a play when Prescott was scrambling to his right, and Matthews was on that side of the line, and Prescott opened up a lead on him. It wasn't even close. There was no threat of Matthews chasing him down from behind, and that was – that was just strange to see. Another expectation heading into this season, uh, the young players in the secondary are going to grow. The reality is that the young players in the secondary did grow. They grew worse, like significantly worse. Big steps back, I think, from Demarius Randall and Quentin Rollins this year. And I don't know if you can put a finger exactly on what's happened, but Gary, it seems like they've taken a big step back, both of them. It does seem like they've taken a big step back, and instead you've had a player like Ladarius Gunter really take a big step forward and uh, step into the role that I think we all thought Demarius Randall at the very least was going to step into. Uh, is is the disappearance of Sam Shields this year, you know, play a factor in, in Rollins and, and Randall's uh, step backwards? I don't know, but 
I do know that those two players are, are going to have to come back next year and, and really perform. It almost seems to me like both of them have become the worst possible version of themselves. So Randall is this outgoing sort of, I don't know if brash is the right word, but outgoing, outspoken sort of young guy. And he just seems completely unfocused on the field. He's just all over the place and he, he's never settled. And he gets he just gets psyched out almost because he's trying to do too much and ends up not doing anything. And Rollins is, is sort of this quiet, almost passive guy. And he got shelled earlier in the season. And just, it seems like he has withdrawn even more as the season has gone on. Uh, he's probably been rushed along a little bit due to the injuries to Sam Shields and earlier in the year, Randall, but uh, both of them, like you said, are going to have to come back next year, much improved. I uh, want to talk about the offensive side of the ball a little bit. The expectation going into this season that Jordy Nelson might need a little while to recover from this injury. The reality might be that uh, we're never going to get the old Jordy Nelson back, but that could be completely fine. What's your read on Jordy Nelson? Well, one of the things that I've noticed about Jordy Nelson that has returned his his great core strength and balance on the field He's made a number of catches that, specifically along the sidelines, which is his bread and butter, that look vintage Jordy Nelson. He may not have the same burst. He may not. He may, you know, have to rely on on defenses kind of losing him to to get open. But dude is still as good of a uh, as good of a receiver as ever um, in terms of his his balance, his core strength, and and his hands. They almost use him in a way like a tight end. They've started to bring him and Devontae Adams in close to the line as sort of a giant slot receiver. And both of them just have a knack for finding spaces and overpowering people, overpowering smaller defensive backs and just just getting to those open spots and zones. And Nelson has just worked a master class on that this year, especially down in the red zone. I want to stick with a couple other wide receivers here. An expectation coming into this season that uh, maybe Jeff Janis and Jared Aberderis will grow after their postseason cameos last year and become a bigger part of the offense. Uh, what do you see as the reality there, Gary? Well, the reality is neither of them are NFL receivers. Uh, Jared Aberderis signed a futures contract with the Detroit Lions, hoping to catch on with them uh, this offseason and into next season. And Jeff Janis, while he has been on the active roster, uh, is is especially especially is is solely a special teams player at this point geronimo allison trevor davis both getting snaps over janice at wide receiver against the cowboys on sunday um while allison has certainly earned it a bit of a surprise to see trevor davis out there specifically uh trevor davis was one of the wide receivers uh on that final pass to jared cook uh so both janice and Aberderis have have um have disappeared, so to speak, from uh, what I think fans had a pretty lofty expectations for them heading into this year. I will say I, I am still fine with Janice being on the team, even if he is not a productive receiver. I mean, you can find ways to use guys who are athletic as he is. And even if you're just a good special teams player who does spot duty as a, at, a, at another position, I think that's good enough in the NFL. Jarrett Bush did that for close to a decade he was never a good cover corner um he, he played there when when he had to but he was just so good on special teams that 
he stuck around and Janice can be that sort of guy I think when you start getting down into that the fifth sixth seventh wide receiver you got to be able to do something else and Janice certainly can sticking on the offensive side an expectation at least for a little while was that boy after Josh Sitton leaves uh, the offensive line is going to need some time to adjust and the reality is true they need did need some time to adjust but that time was like eight seconds Uh, Lane Taylor has stepped in and been phenomenal this season start to finish he sure has and I I think that David Bakhtiari has certainly upped his game quite a bit. And Brian Balaga, I think, has played tremendous as well, too. Not to, you know, and and I guess I got to say TJ Lang, Corey Lindsley, JC Treader, they're all pretty good. But the tackles specifically, Balaga, I I think we kind of forget about it. He shut down Vic Beasley against the, uh, the Falcons in October. Vic Beasley led the NFL in sacks. Um, Balaga's turned it has stayed a very consistent high-end NFL right tackle, and Bakhtiari has has outplayed a contract he signed this season already. He is going to be an incredible bargain as other left tackles around the league start to sign some expen- extensions, and it's going to get expensive for those other teams when they see. Um, what the contract numbers are around the league, but Bakhtiari is going to be a bargain for the Packers for the next few years. Uh, two more expectations, and then we'll we'll make some predictions and, and some other thoughts on Atlanta. Uh, one expectation, haha, Clinton Dix will be better than ever this year, perhaps even the best player on the Packers' defense. The reality is he was very good, but Mike Daniels might have been even better than he's ever been, and that's saying a lot for a guy like Mike Daniels. It is, and come to say, John, I think Mike Daniels was the second best defensive lineman on the Packers against uh, the Cowboys. I think rookie Kenny Clark was a game breaker, Um, had quite a few plays where he was in Dak Prescott's face. Um, Kenny Clark, going to be a good player. Well, one play in particular from Clark really stuck out to me was not getting in Dak Prescott's face, but getting in Ezekiel Elliott's face. Uh, Clark blew up a play, saw that it was going to be a screen, and hustled out and basically covered Ezekiel Elliott one-on-one and brought him down for no gain. Kenny Clark is 21 years old. He is going to be an excellent player uh, in the NFL. Uh, Finally, on the other end of the age spectrum, an expectation heading into this season was uh, heading into his age 37 season. Maybe Julius Peppers will start to tail off this year. The reality was, well, maybe he just needed to rest until late October because in November, December, and now January, Julius Peppers has been worth every penny the Packers have been paying him. That's sure true. And it's I'm jumping the gun here, but if there's a player, I always like, you know, when you get to the Super Bowl time, you start thinking, is there that one late veteran player who, you know, deserves a ring but doesn't have one yet. And Julius Peppers is is one of those guys. I mean, absolute first ballot Hall of Famer and has played as well in his third season with the Packers at age 37 uh, than he did in his first season with the Packers. Really counting on that cabal of NFL executives that decides the outcomes of games to you know, get this Super Bowl for the Packers just so Julius Peppers can get that ring. Really, really pulling for that. Uh, we, <laughs> I, I wondered if I would get you on that one, and I was worried because you hadn't laughed yet. <laughs> 
We should touch on a couple things from the actual Packers Falcons game before we we head out here, and I guess both of them center around Aaron Rodgers. So Dan Quinn is the Atlanta Falcons defensive coordinator, and this kind of speaks to an issue that's come to a head sort of in the in this off season. Uh, quarterback wins are a stat that I just absolutely revile because they're not actually a stat. Quarterbacks don't win games all by themselves, and and more often than not, they don't lose them all by themselves either. But Dan Quinn has to the extent that you can slowed down Aaron Rodgers and Rodgers is 0-3 against Dan Quinn defenses in his career in 2014 they lost 36-16 to to Quinn's Seahawks in the season opener then in the 2014 season uh, they lost to the Seahawks 28-22 in that NFC title game then Quinn uh, again defeated Rodgers earlier this season 33 to 32 again as the defensive coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons. Anything stick out to you uh, about that list, Gary? I know a couple things jump out to me. Well, what jumps out to me is that uh, the first matchup, Rogers scored in the teens. Second matchup, he scored in the twenties. Third matchup, he scored in the thirties. So Sunday means we're going to be putting forty up, right? I think so. I think that's the only logical conclusion. No, but the things that jump out to me is is two of those three losses, the NFC Championship game and the NFC or and the the game against the Falcons earlier this year, where both of those were games where Rodgers either tied the game late and then lost after he never got the ball back or gave the Packers a lead late and lost when the defense gave up a, a late score. Uh I don't know if you can really say that Dan Quinn has has owned Aaron Rodgers if two out of the three times they've played Rodgers has put his team in a position to win and then for circumstances outside his control they ended up ended up losing that that frustrates me when I see stats like that come up yeah you are not a fan of QB wins and I am all over you on Twitter if you tweet something into my timeline about something like that so just just meeting out social media justice all over the place let's talk about one more stat about Rodgers and uh and the Falcons specifically the 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 stadium in which the Falcons play the soon to be uh abandoned I guess Georgia Dome uh Aaron Rodgers oh, they're tearing it down they're not abandoning it <laughs> it's it's gonna be a parking lot I think oh well uh all things in Atlanta probably turn into parking lots sooner or later that seems to to be the perception Including of the, the city highways. yeah uh, especially if you get a little bit of snow you know that better than most uh, but but speaking of the Georgia Dome, all time in his career, Aaron Rodgers, two and two there with air quotes around it. Um, his completion percentage, an even seventy five percent, averaging three hundred thirty eight yards per game, ten touchdowns, zero interception, and a career passer rating in the Georgia Dome of one twenty five point two. So the question, Gary, does Aaron Rodgers continue his hot play in the Georgia Dome and lead the Packers to the Super Bowl? What's your prediction for Sunday? My prediction is that the Packers are going to get it done. I think that the toughest challenge of these playoff season was getting past Dallas. I think of all the Packers' losses so far this year, the one that felt the most, and I use this word loosely, hopeless, was the week six loss against Dallas. It felt like they were just leaps and bounds better at that point in the season than the Packers. To see Green Bay come back, beat Dallas on their home turf, I think is only going to increase the confidence of this team, who, by the way, extremely confident, and is only going to help them as they face the Atlanta Falcons. I do think Matt Ryan's skill set 
translates extremely well into a plan or against Dom Capers defense. But ultimately, give me Green Bay. Uh, I'll swallow the points. No, I'll take the points because they're going to win outright. Look at me trying to be cowherd. I'll swallow the points. Um, give me Green Bay 39-38. I am with you. Uh, I was initially going to pick against the Packers, but I think Matt Ryan blinks first. Uh, Julio Jones battling some turf toe. The Falcons, I'm not sure they can get pressure on Aaron Rodgers unless they bring the house as often as they possibly can, and that seems like a recipe for for disaster. I think the Packers and the Falcons are going to beat the over, which I think is 60 and a half points right now. I take the Packers heading to the Super Bowl 40 to 37 in Atlanta. 77 total points. I think there's going to be a lot of them Sunday in the Georgia Dome. So Gary, that's going to be a show for us. Where can the Packer, where can the people, the Packers included, I guess, find us on the internet? Well, there's a couple of ways you can help uh, the power sweep and help John and I. If you are Facebook and Twitter users, you can Go ahead and give us a like and follow where the power sweep or at the power sweep on both of those. Uh, you can also visit us on the World Wide Web. Navigate your browser to www.thepowersweep.com. Uh, as always, if you don't subscribe to this podcast, please consider subscribing as well as check out our ebook following Favre on Amazon. Those are great ways to help support what the what John and I are doing. Um, you can also drop us a note uh, via electronic mail. That's thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us personally on Twitter at John Meerdink or at Gzil. That's G-Z as in zebra, I-L. And we'd love to hear from you. Any feedback uh, helps John and I make Blue 58 and the Power Sweep better and helps make all of us smarter Packer fans. And smarter Packer fans are better Packer fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. Thank you so much for listening to Blue 58, powered by WTMJ Mobile. For Gary Zillavy, I'm John Meerdink. Thank you for listening. Thank you.